0: First of all, I'd like to take a moment and say thank you uh, to Pastor Ron and Pastor John who have been filling in for me these last couple of weeks. Um, Pastor John was already on the schedule to preach last Sunday, uh, and then uh, I had the opportunity to go and uh, be with our son and future daughter-in-law the, uh, two the weeks ago, and so Pastor Ron filled in, and and I appreciate that. You know, it's one thing for a preacher to fill in uh, for another, you know, it's not a big deal. But when that preacher asks the other preacher to preach a particular passage, that's a really big deal. All right. Um, and the guys on staff are, are always gracious in uh, following the leadership that I have felt from the Lord to preach in a series and and um carry on in that series and and i i don't want to uh just not acknowledge that that's that's a really big deal so brother ron thank you uh thank you for preaching about being gracious and being gracious in the process of preaching about being gracious uh pastor john is not here today he is um visiting some family but uh, maybe he'll listen to this. So John, thank you again for preaching last week uh, about being diligent in, in, in our service and, and sharing the gospel and, and um, just appreciate that. This morning, uh, I am carrying on this series in Romans chapter 12, and we'll be looking at this idea of being devoted Uh, And what that means. And just so I'm not leaving him out, I want you to know Pastor David is going to be preaching in four weeks on November 12th. uh, And he'll be talking about being compassionate. Um, And that is the Sunday after my baby boy gets married. And so my wife gave me strict instructions. I am not allowed to come back to Rogers that day. Um, And so we will be down in central Arkansas uh recuperating uh from the wedding but we're excited about that well as we look at this next verse of scripture in Romans chapter 12 um, we want to take some time to discover the unique characteristics and teachings of this particular verse we'll be looking at Romans 12:12, as David mentioned earlier But we also want to understand how it fits in the totality of teaching here in this passage. And in order to do that, we've got to take a moment to look at what the immediate context of verse 12 has to say. In order to discern the characteristics of genuine, authentic love. Because that's what we find here in the beginning of this portion uh starting in verse nine so the first thing i want us to do is consider the characteristics of genuine love all right in order for us to understand the context of verse 12 we have to understand what an immediate context is all right and so how can we determine the immediate context of a text well if you look at the chart on the screen (laughs) This is a way to help us understand what the immediate context and then the next larger context is of a passage of Scripture. So if your text is a word or a phrase, then the immediate context is the sentence in which it uh, exists. Now, you may or may not have noticed this, but sometimes, especially in Paul's writings, one sentence could be about seven or eight verses. And, and so if you're looking at just one verse, the immediate context is the sentence in which it is found. And then beyond that, the next larger context would be the paragraph that it is found in. And then the, the, as you can read the chart, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but, you know, it goes up from there. If the co- text is a sentence, the immediate context is the paragraph and the next larger is the topic or the section that it's found in and so forth And so on this is really important for us to understand because we must always interpret a text within its context first looking at the immediate context and then stepping out and looking at the next larger and eventually looking at it from the perspective of what does God's word as a whole have to say about this verse. So if we look at a Bible uh, that is formatted in paragraph form uh, and we look at Romans chapter 12, we will discover that verse 12 is a complete sentence and it is surrounded by this paragraph starting in verse 9 going through verse 13. And so if our text is verse 12, our immediate context would be Verses 9 through 13. Our next larger context would be chapter 12. Our next larger context would be the book of Romans. The next would be all of Paul's writings. The next would be, you, you get the idea, right? The New Testament. And then eventually, we've got to understand a text within the context of Scripture as a whole because the Bible will never contradict itself. All right. Hermeneutics class is now dismissed. And let's look at Romans chapter 12. In order for us to understand this text within the context, it's important that we read it all. So let's begin in verse 9 and look at what Paul has to say about the characteristics of genuine love. He says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. paragraph starting in verse 9. You'll notice that the first part of verse 9 tells us that our love should be genuine. The way we feel for other people should be authentic. It should not be fake. And so as we look at this what we see in the next four and a half verses of this paragraph gives us a demonstration of what genuine love is looks like notice what it says it says that love is holding on to what is good love is being devoted love is putting others first love is serving others love is being hopeful love is being patient with difficulties and remembering to pray love is being generous Love is showing hospitality. When we consider this within the context, we see that all of these things are describing what genuine love ought to look at. And so when it comes to living a life that is truly Christ-like, that life must be characterized by this kind of love. The way we live ought to look more like this than The way the world lives. And that's why Paul in his explanation in 1 Corinthians 13 of of what love is. He goes through this long list of things. And then he says, so now faith, hope, and love remain. These three. But the greatest of these is love. So when we read verse 12 and it tells us to rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. We must understand these in regard to what does that mean about our love for God as well as our love for others. You see, at first, this verse only seems to be about our relationship with God. But we notice that it stands right in the middle of numerous uh, directions about Christian relationships. Our relationship with one another. And so if, if that's the context, we need to understand the text within its context. And so Paul is really exhorting us to use all of our spiritual resources not to give up on our brothers and sisters in Christ. Be, he, he wants us to rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. So, that's our context. Let's look at these three things. All right? Love is rejoicing in hope, first of all. What kind of hope are we talking about here? I think it's important that we understand if it says we're rejoicing in hope, we need to understand what hope really is. And there are a lot of different kinds of hope uh, in our understanding today. You know, hope can be wishful thinking. You know, I hope to win the lottery, right? Actually, I don't because then I'd have to explain how I got the ticket. But anyway, but that's, that's kind of a hope, right? Um, it's, it's not really going to happen. The odds are astronomically against you, but it's wishful thinking, There's another kind of hope where we hope hope can be a desire for something, uh, a desire for something to happen. Or like, for example, you know, I hope I get this job, you know, hope can also be a feeling or an expectation. For example, I hope to ace the test because I really studied hard for it. It's an expectation that you're going to do well. You're hoping. And then lastly, one other way that hope can be defined is that it is a feeling of trust but the interesting thing about that definition of hope is that the dictionary describes that definition as being archaic in other words hope doesn't really mean that anymore in our society I, i found that interesting But as I look at all four of these definitions, it's a wishful thinking, desire for something to happen, a feeling of expectation, or even a feeling of trust. I don't think any of those really do a good job of describing, adequately describing what this hope is that we see here in verse 12 when Paul says rejoice in hope. Well, according to Alastair Begg, hope in Romans 12:2, or sorry, Romans 12:12 12, 12, is not wishful thinking that someone will, or will something will or will not occur, but it is an absolute certainty about what God has promised, even though we have not yet experienced it. Our hope is an absolute certainty. Because it is based on the promises of God. In Romans chapter 8, oh, I'm skipping ahead. Let me, in Hebrews chapter 11, let's look at that. It gives us some understanding of hope in context of what faith is. Hebrews 11, verse 1 says Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, it is the conviction or evidence of things that have not yet been seen in Romans chapter 8 Paul talks about hope as well Romans 8 verse 24 the Bible says for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience The hope that we're talking about here is the certainty of God's promises. And so, hope is both the cause of our rejoicing and it is the sphere in which our rejoicing takes place. You see, our hope in Christ, (coughs) excuse me, our hope in Christ And the eternal life that he has given us is the cause for us to rejoice. If we stay there in Romans chapter 8, verse 30, it tells us, Paul says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, why do I bring that up? Because this is a process by which God saves us. We have been predestined. We have been called. We have been justified. Made just as if we had never sinned. Been declared righteous. And then he says we have been glorified. Now can I just be real honest with you today? As I look out in this crowd. I don't see any one of you that's been glorified. And what you're looking at hasn't been either. But from the perspective of God it's as good as done and therefore it's in the past tense here in Romans 8:30 it is a guarantee of what we are hoping for in the true sense of knowing for certain that god will fulfill his promises and you know when we look at the the structure of the greek language there in Romans 12:12 12, 12, the structure of the grammar there is emphasizing causation and so in other words we should let the hope of our future blessedness give us joy it is causing us to be joyful because of just the sentence structure in the grammar so hope is both the cause and the sphere for rejoicing to take place what do I mean when I say the sphere in which it takes place well you see the hope that we're talking about is the promise that jesus is going to one day return paul made this absolutely clear in his letter to titus in titus chapter two he says that we are waiting for our blessed hope well what does that mean paul Fortunately, he defines it for us in the next phrase. He says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That is the certainty of the promise. God has promised us that Jesus would return. And we are now waiting for that. But, you know, as I said before, it's always important to understand a text within its context Let's read the verses before and after that, okay? It's on the screen for you. In verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. To purify for himself a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for good works. Folks, it's important as we think about rejoicing in hope. It is important that we not forget what we are living for. Paul summed it up beautifully. When he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is a promotion. We've got to remember what we're living for. But you know, I wonder sometimes if Jesus is our hope and our future, why do so many of us habitually have a gloomy, pessimistic outlook on life? If he is our hope, if he is the promise, why are we a gloomy gus? Have we forgotten what the Bible says? I mean, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 says rejoice always. Galatians 5 says that the fruit of the spirit is love and joy. It goes on and lists seven others, but joy is listed secondly. And we know that love is the most important. Joy is the second thing in that list. Proverbs 17, says, A joyful heart is good medicine. 1 Peter 1, verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. That is inexpressible and filled with glory. And by the way, if you're trying to write all these down and you're not catching them, all of these verses are in the version interactive notes if you want to look them up there. I can help you with that later. Nehemiah 8 verse 10. You know what that one says, don't you, Brother George? The joy of the Lord is my strength. And Philippians 4 tells us rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Have we forgotten what the Bible says? If there is no joy in your life. If there if no rejoicing is happening on your daily walk with the Lord. Folks, you need to evaluate your spiritual walk. Because. You're not living the way God wants you to. And number two, you're probably pulling other people down in the process. You may be thinking, preacher, you don't know my situation. I've got nothing to be joyful about. Well, let's look at the second Part of Romans 12, 12. Because he doesn't just say rejoice and hope. Paul says next. Be patient in tribulation. You know, contrary to popular belief. The Bible does not promise us. Health and wealth. And a life that is free from trouble and heartache. There are a lot of preachers out there today that will try to convince you that if you will, you know, do what they say and give to their ministry, you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, and everything will be just a-okay. That's not what the Bible teaches. Not at all. And once again, I want to give you a, I mean, we're looking at context today, right? Well, let's look at that greatest context of. Or almost the greatest. Let's look at what the Bible teaches about tribulation in the New Testament. Jesus taught about it a lot. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, we find him in one of his greatest sermons, the Sermon on the Mount. He starts it out by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That, that's not the best hook I've ever heard for a sermon, you know? Um, but that's the reality. That is the truth that Jesus wanted us to understand. And then he goes on and he mentions some other things that are less depressing, but then it gets down to verse 10. And it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And by the way, do you know the word blessed? Blessed. We talked about this in our community group this week. I don't know if you did or not in yours. But the word blessed or blessed means to be happy. So he's saying you are happy if you are persecuted for righteousness sake. Then he goes on and says you are happy when others revile you and persecute you. And sh- say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You are happy When you are reviled, persecuted, and slandered. That doesn't sound much like health and wealth, does it? But notice what he says next. Rejoice and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is is how Jesus started his first major teaching section in the book of Matthew. If we jump ahead to the last teaching section that that he had in John chapter 16, or actually 15 first, John chapter 15, we see in verse 18 that, Jesus told his followers, now remember the context. This is the night before he was about to be crucified. He told his followers, the world is going to hate you. Isn't that encouraging? The world is going to hate you, he said. In the next chapter, still, same night, verse 20 and verse 22 Of John 16, he promises weeping, lamenting, and deep sorrow here on earth. Again, what a blessing. But you know what he says in verse 33? He said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We can rejoice in the hope that Christ's promises are true. And we can be patient in our tribulation. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. When Jesus left and went back up into uh, heaven to be with the Father, the Holy Spirit came down and, and, and dwelt the believers at that time. And first thing we see in Acts chapter 5, um, Peter says that they it says that Peter was rejoicing because he was counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 5 verse 41. He was rejoicing that he had been arrested and beaten. That's what Jesus promises. Look at Paul's teaching about tribulation. Um one of the most definitive passages on suffering is found in Romans chapter 5. I'm actually not going to discuss those verses right now because that's going to be the focus that you're going to look at in your community groups this week. So if you want to spend some time in Romans 5, check out a community group. If you don't know where one might be, come see me and I'll try to uh, hook you up with the best group for you and your schedule. Um, but then, in, you know, Paul teaches about this in other places too. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul tells the believers of Corinth Corinth. That they will patiently endure the same sufferings that he suffered. Again. It's counterintuitive that that would be an encouragement. But they counted it as a reason to rejoice when they were able to suffer for the sake of Christ. For the church in Colossae, Paul tells the believers There to be strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience with joy. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul encouraged the readers there in Thessalonica to be patient with those who were causing problems at the church there. And then he goes on and says to them, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Whatever you may be going through. Paul says. And you say. But preacher you don't know what I'm going through. No I don't. He does. I don't. But whatever it is. God is using that in your life. To Conform you to the image of His Son. He's using that to make you the person He wants you to be. It is God's will for you in Christ Jesus to be dealing with this. So give thanks for those circumstances. In James chapter 1. Verse 2, the half-brother of our Lord said, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And if you skip down to verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised To those who love him. In the last chapter of his letter. James exhorts his readers to be patient. And he cited the example of the Old Testament prophets. Who were patient in their sufferings. But the question remains. Why would God allow his children to go through such difficult circumstances? Let's look a little bit closer at James chapter 1. Because where it says, count it all joy, brothers, when you, when you meet trials of various kinds. I read this earlier. It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So what? Well, look at verse 4. It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking In nothing. Notice that progression there. The test. The trials that you're going through. Are the testing of your faith. When you go through these things. It makes you question. Does God really love me? Is God really good? Why is he allowing this in my life? If he is a good and loving God. It tests our faith and when we uh, rejoice in hope and we're patient in tribulations it's in those moments that it builds into us what is called steadfastness here in James chapter one another word could be perseverance or endurance it's it's helping us to persevere in this and what does that bring about well it tells us here in verse four Says if we allow it, if we will allow steadfastness to have its full effect, it will uh, enable us to be perfect and complete. What does that mean? It means that we grow up in our spiritual maturity, it means that we are no longer children tossed about by everything that's going on in our lives, we become steadfast, mature. Perfect, complete, it says lacking in nothing. That's what God wants for us. Can I tell you, folks, I've said it before, but let me say it again. God cares more about your holiness than he does about your happiness. Happiness is fleeting. Joy is a choice. And we can be joyful, we can rejoice even when circumstances are terrible. Because we know that those circumstances, those trials are doing the work of making us more holy. Making us more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The trials and tribulations that we face in our lifetime are doing the heavy lifting when it comes to transforming us into the image of Christ. Because as we patiently endure these tribulations, we're learning to be dependent upon the Lord. And we're learning to be obedient to his word. And you know what, just as a side note, as we patiently endure all of these tribulations in community with one another... We're helping our fellow believers to see God's purposes in our pain. Did you hear that? God has purpose in our pain. And when we live our lives rejoicing in hope and patient in tribulation and people see that, it helps them to see those purposes And it helps them to rejoice in hope. And it helps them to be patient in tribulation. We're demonstrating genuine love to God. As well as genuine love to our fellow believers when we rejoice in hope. When we are patient in tribulation. And finally, when we are constant in prayer. Or when we are devoted to prayer. Let's look at the last section. It simply says that, if I can get back to Romans 12 here. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Consistency in prayer is a deep devotion to prayer. I love how my friend Bill Eliff describes this. He calls this idea of being constant in prayer prayer with no intermission. I love that. He has a book by that same title, prayer with no intermission. And I wanted to read just a couple of things that he wrote right here at the very beginning of it. He said, what would your life be like if you could remain in the presence of God all day long? If you could pray without ceasing? If each day was a running conversation with the God who loves perfectly and sees all. Even a cursory glance at the life of Jesus, both earthly and heavenly, reveals a life of continued intercession, unceasing prayer. We know that our lives would be far more effective if this was our habit, but many do not think it is possible. He goes on and he says, God desires for us to talk with him. All day long. His desire for us is not merely for greater effectiveness. That's not, the, that's not his goal, folks. But his desire is for continuous communion with him. God wants to be intimate with us. His love. Longs for unceasing prayer from those he's created. It's a great book. Prayer with No Intermission. You know, my time in prayer each day is becoming a greater priority in my life as each day passes. Um, I am praying more and more consistently probably than any other time in my life up to this point. But interestingly, I was at a pastor's retreat 10 days ago. And at that retreat, I was challenged to ask God to give me one idea, one thing that I needed to change in my life. In three different areas. What do I need to change in my life. On a personal level. What do I need to change in my life. On a relationship level. And then what do I need to change in my life. About ministry. And then I was given. An opportunity. To. You know. uh, Sit there. and Ask God to reveal this to me. And as I sat there for about 90 seconds. Saying Lord what is it. That you want me to change in my personal walk with you. You know what resoundingly was a neon sign in my mind? It was this simple, simple thing pray more. Pray more. Consistency in prayer. Is modeled as well as taught in Paul's writings. In Ephesians six eighteen, Paul says, "Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication." And then it goes on and says, "To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints." Can I tell you, prayer is not easy. I mean, yeah, it's easy to to pause 30 seconds before you dig into the food. I get that. But I'm talking about prayer. Really communicating with God. Um, It's not easy. Something else that someone uh, has told me is prayer is not preparation for the battle. Prayer is the battle. So we've got to persevere. In prayer. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We need to take everything to God. you know that He, he cares? He wants to hear about it. He wants to hear about your struggles. He wants to hear about your frustrations. He wants to hear about those things that are those little tiny moments of joy in your day. But when we take everything to God, we are able to rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. Colossians 4 verse 2 says to continue steadfastly in prayer. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, Paul urges us that supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people and then in first thessalonians one verse two he says we give thanks to god always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers is that the kind of prayer life that we have i would dare say probably no A sign of the presence of God's love is when people are found fulfilling the desire to pray. If you want to truly show God that you love Him, you will pray. And your prayer causes you to want to pray more. I'll never forget uh, when I was in college. Eons ago, Um, I read a quote by, I believe it was C.H. Spurgeon, old Baptist preacher from England. He said, I have so much to do today, I better pray for four hours instead of three. What a challenge. You know what, folks? Those who love God and love his people are people who are devoted to prayer. There are a whole lot of books that have been written on the subject of prayer. I could give you a whole list of them. I could take you to my office and hand you a stack of about 20 books just on prayer. But folks, nothing is more effective in learning how to pray than simply praying. You want to learn how to pray? Just pray. Well, we've spent a lot of time this morning looking at teachings from many parts of the Bible that reinforce the teaching of Romans 12, 12. But I want to leave you with just one last passage, and that is um, what we looked at in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to challenge you this morning to memorize... Three verses this week now I know what just went through the, some of your minds okay it's like preacher I am way too old to be memorizing scripture I haven't done that in 58 years in fact um I want to challenge you to memorize three verses and before you start telling me that you can't do it at least hear which verses I want you to hide in your heart okay It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, if that's all you can do, I'll take it, all right? But hopefully you can get that last section as well. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Hide those words in your heart. So that when you find yourself complaining about something. The Holy Spirit will go. oh Rejoice always. Give thanks in every circumstance. This is God's will for you. Wade. Don't complain. Rejoice. Give thanks. When you think you can't get through it, by all means, lift up your prayers to me. I'm here listening, he says. Let's not just talk about these things. Let's do them. Let's be hopeful and stop being pessimistic. Let's thank God in everything that happens, even the difficult stuff. And let's constantly be in communication with him through prayer. Prayer with no intermission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the simplicity of your word and the truths therein. And, Father, I just pray now that as we uh, go out into this week, I just ask, Father, to help us to be more rejoicing. Lord, help us to be more patient. Lord, help us to be constant in our prayers. Lord, help us to grow to be more like your Son, Jesus Christ.